Welcome, welcome in to the Get After It podcast, episode 82, coming to you from San Diego, California. I'm your host, Aaron Griffin. I am so stoked for this episode. I know I say this uh, occasionally because we have a lot of, I think, some awesome interviews, but this interview uh, blew me away. We actually scheduled, luckily it was towards the tail end of both of our days, we scheduled an hour for this interview and we ended up going for about two and a half uh, hours for the total call. Now, this was a remarkable interview, and I'm so stoked to share it with you all. And our guest today is Odakara Kletsky. And Odakara is really a fascinating, uh, she brings so much, so many fascinating insights in this episode. I think you're all going to love it. Um, let me give you her bio just to get us started here. So Odakara is an international best-selling author. Her first book, or really her biggest book, was Hear Your Body Whisper, How to Unlock Your Self-Healing Mechanism. Her most recent book, which is what we're going to really speak to in this podcast, is Hear Your Brain Whisper, How to Unlock Your Mind's potential. This and she is a she's sold well over 10,000 copies of this of this book. She's a best-selling author on Amazon. Um I, I we had such a fascinating conversation. She's also um an author of a children's book series which is Detective Bella Unleashed, which I think is super cool. Uh she is passionate about anything from from nature, whether it's human, animal or the whole universe and often talks about these subjects as a guest on radio radio or podcasts, which she will be doing so for us. I want to just continue here and finish up her bio. She's an avid supporter of eco-friendly life and education, fascinated by scientific studies and what they come up with, and an incurable traveler. We both have that in common. I think many of us share that. Currently, she lives on a ranch with her husband and daughter by the beautiful Cascade Range in Oregon, raising too many pets and taking every chance to go on road trips with her homeschooled daughter. You all are in for a treat. We divided this into two episodes because there's just so much here. Um, so make sure if you want to finish this interview, come back tomorrow. We're going to be publishing the next podcast. Episode 83 is going to be part two of this interview. We hit on, oh, it's just everything. So it really talks about the brain, how the brain functions, what what we're doing to our brain, the toxins that we're putting into our brain, how to actually build a, a, a healthy brain. I think you all are really going to love what she says. Actually, you might not like what some of she says because it's going to be a wake-up call, I think, for some of us. So without further ado, let's bring in international best-selling author, Odakara Kletsky. This is the Get After It Podcast, where young professionals, entrepreneurs, and action takers learn what it takes to be a high performer. This is more than a podcast. It's a movement. Now, let's get after it with your host, Aaron Griffin. Otakar, I am so stoked to have you here with us. Thank you for joining the Get After It Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so funny when you mentioned the traveling, it's almost like heart wrenching because it did slow down a lot this year. No kidding. At least you're in the Pacific Northwest where it's like everything is travel destination, right? I want to, oh, yeah. can, can we start with that? Because actually just to, just to, just to hit with that, people are going to notice with your voice, you, you, you have an accent. Where are you from originally? You said it was a Czechoslovakia. Is that your name is? Well, Czechoslovakia was when I was born. Now it's a Czech Republic. Czech the other Republic, side gotcha. is the Slovakia, right? So I'm from the Czech Republic. Um, and I've been in States living here for the past 18 years now. So oh, terrific. 
been a while while I'm here, but um, aside of that, I lived in like some other countries too. So, so always, I'm, I, oh my goodness, I have a fly on me. I'm going to be like on a presidential debate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so we, we're, we're, I'm really excited for this to dive in and talk about the brain because it's so, I, I'm fascinated by how much, there's so many things well we're gonna we were you were already blown me away i was like we got to get started with this thing right before we jumped in here so my the, our audience is young professionals entrepreneurs i think they're they're going to be really excited to not only dive into a little bit more about your book and by the way legit book best-selling titles i saw one of the 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 the, the further one that was just a little bit ago that has been um the, uh, or your, your book on whispering about the body has a lot of reviews on Amazon. I mean, you are really, you you know your stuff. So I'm so excited to have you join us here today. I really want to focus on your new book, if that's okay with you. But to get started, let's just just introduce yourself. You, you mentioned you've been in the States for 18 years now. Can you, can, can you give our audience a little bit of a background on yourself before we dive into everything here? Oh my goodness, so- um, Easy task, sure. right? Sure, yeah, easy task, <laughs> easy task. So, uh, this would give a little introduction also to like my hear your body whispers. So since I was a child, I had a lot of health issues. And so I, I had like almost like whatever could go wrong would go wrong with like my organs and everything. And so not only I was limited by the fact that I actually was born in a communistic country, but also by this thing as far as traveling. And I always wanted to travel. And it was like something I wanted to do. Maybe it was because I was so much in bed and I was so much bound at home. And I was lucky. I was born to parents who loved books. We had books all over. So since I was a child and I would spend like, you know, 80% of my time instead of going to school, being sick at home and reading books. So I developed this huge passion for reading books. And, and my mom, she had books from all over the world. In this case, Europe is small countries are really lucky because we translate a lot of books. Unfortunately, in America, there is very few books translated from the world. So anyway, so I read from everything from all over the world, wanted to travel, could not travel for those two reasons. And communism dropped when I was the 13 years old. Uh, and but then it was still my health. So I had to deal with that in order to be even able to travel. So I had to kind of find a way to release the doctors and the parental care that was there since I was a child, because since I was a child, they were like kind of like just, you know, like showering me what to do with me till I was like, no, I'm like done. And nobody is talking about my health. Like I need to take care of it on my own. And so I did, I was able to travel. I traveled a lot and uh, I did lots of wonderful things. I love journalism. I was a TV reporter for a while in the Czech Republic. And um, eventually, um, my trips left, I, I lived in uh, Austria, I lived in Brazil for a little bit before I lived here too. And eventually I met my husband, who's American, and I moved to United States, where I stayed. Then I for a while didn't do much. I was raising just my daughter. I was at home till it came to the point that I had to do something. And um, for my 40th birthday, I decided that I'm going to write a book. It was finally I decided to literally give myself a permission to suck because I always wanted to write a book. My brother is an author and he said like, you're just too young. I could never, I was just, there are people who can write when they're young and finish the book. And then there are people like me who just have to age to develop the level of discipline to take to be coming back and actually 
keep going with something, right? And, and, and for me, that was very hard when I was younger. It's still hard, but like now I can actually commit and do it. And so for my 40th birthday, I give myself a permission to sack that I decided, you know, it doesn't matter. English is my second language. I know that English is not going to be the best part of it, but I just want to write a book. And so I gave myself my own birthday present that till this day, I think was the best birthday present I ever gave myself because the book, the fact that actually I think it's written by a person whose English is not a first language, but I always loved scientific studies. I always loved studying these things, which are like, I understand the words on paper. I can't probably pronounce them. But once I was like spitting it all out, it just came with the limited vocabulary I have, which made it much more accessible for further audience. And somehow by actually, honestly, that first book, I didn't even know anything about marketing. I just like kind of put it up on Amazon and it, it just took off and people started buying, people started talking about it. And because of that, the book gave me an option because it was selling so well, it actually allowed me to learn the marketing for books. It allowed me to learn more things because it gave me like, it gave me that success. It gave me that ether to stay with it. And people were writing back and, and somehow the book really resonated with people. So I started and I went to like children's books too because I homeschool my daughter. So I wanted to um, do something that I can actually do while she would be learning. So instead of like doing language arts and teaching her English, because I have no idea how to teach it in, in America, like in this country, like what do, you, what do you do with that kid? So instead of that, like I just started writing children's books and have it, and I showed her, how do you write books? What do you do? How do you develop character? I had her fix things. And amazingly enough, in a third grade, she scored like a 10th grader at language arts when she was tested without me actually teaching her a single lesson on the subject from school, but just like having her kind of as a part of it. So I, I always, we would, you know, we would break down books and characters and TV shows. Like I would just show her like, what do you do with the character? How do you develop things? What are you supposed to do? So that kind of got me on that. And I'm still always interested. I'm, I'm I have the, the weirdness about me that I like, I'm really fascinated by human body, by organs, by everything, how it functions. And uh, uh, then in, couple of years ago, I decided because there was a lot of people who were asking on following and going further into Hear Your Body Whisper, and I did decided to write a book about the brain. But there was an unfortunate, my mom had an unfortunate accident where um, she was hit by the car crossing a crosswalk and ended up being in a hospital. She, her brain got injured and unfortunately she lost that battle. And I lost my mom after her being four months in the hospital, never coming out. But um, so that was very hard. That was very hard. I felt like being really hit as an author when you feel like something just want to just smack you because my original purpose of that book was kind of looking at it from like the psychologist's point of view. What do you, how do you supposed to do things and like things you can do to improve your brain? But I wasn't looking as a at the brain as an organ. And because of the accident, what happened to my mom, I really started looking into brain as organ and change the point of view of what people a lot of times do. Like, I think we a lot of times have a tendency to look at the brain like as a psychologist, they'll tell you like, okay, this person is narcissistic or something because like they do this, they like things they do, the way they act but I look at it, what makes them act? So I look at it as like the neurochemical cocktails in your brain, what you create, 
how it happens in your brain. And if you want to create, if you want to feel a certain way, instead of, instead of thinking necessarily, like if I want to feel I got a, let's say meditation is huge, but I will use it as an example because meditation does help like hugely, but it's good if you actually know what a meditation does and what you're trying to get out of it, because what you're trying to get out of it are certain neurotransmitters. And once you're aware of the neurotransmitters you want and the way you want to feel, then, um, um, you can do activities that would release these neurotransmitters. And you don't necessarily have to do, because everybody is individual, your brain's individual. Every person thinks differently, right? Like if the person who has a attention deficit disorder, they have certain things that are happening in their brain. And if they wanna tackle certain things, they might have a certain approach and a same activity might not work for two people the same way. I actually talk about it with, Arne Dietrich, who is a scientist who discovered what we call a state of flow. It's called transient hypofrontality. Now he actually named it, he coined that term. And so what is all the, those things- What is the term? Talk, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. What, what was the term again? Transient hypofrontality. Transient because it's not permanent state. It's transient. If you are in a state of flow, it's something that doesn't last. If somebody tells you, yep. you can be in a float for three hours, they're lying. It's not true, right? It's transient. Hippofrontality. Hippofrontality is your prefrontal cortex actually goes out. You don't think. That's the best thing. It's like you get out of your own way. That's what is the true flow. The flow state is when you're no longer in your own way. So you're not thinking. You are your, your other part of the brain takes over. Mm, so almost like your is it like a, they call it like the lizard part of your brain like the the you know the part of yeah, your the, brain the that's older. Like reptilian yeah it just goes wouldn't just be the reptilian but yes the older yeah. part of the brain takes mm. over but in order to get in the flow it, it has to be activity that that prefrontal that thinking part of the cortex had to do so many times that, oh, it's, that, wow. it's, that it's no longer going like let's say in it's very common to get for flow. The easiest example are uh, people who do sports or runners high. It's a very typical term, right? Runners high. Yeah. So if you're doing certain sport, let's say, I don't know, you like snowboarding and you go snowboard all the time. And at the beginning, you have to learn. So you have to think about it. But once it becomes so mechanical so easy for you that you can just go on a you know like flip a black diamond and you're just having fun that's when your prefrontal cortex can shut off because your mechanical part of the brains they've done it so many times they take over and you can just enjoy the bliss and you're gonna perform 600 times better yeah I was, that's actually then I was... when your brain's thinking because you, you're thinking it's too slow for your reaction and the body actually it's it's faster like it's it's funny but it's it takes a longer time for your brain to actually react because it is the furthest from your you know from your nervous system that makes so much sense because i was just thinking like you know so i was about to ask you and you cleared that up i was about to ask if, if it if it makes it easier on the brain then when you're in that flow state and obviously it does but it takes so many reps to get to that point right i want to i want to ask you about this so you have first of all so thank you so much for being here this is all right this is already such a fun conversation so i want i want to hit on we have a lot of so so a lot of our audience younger individuals 
we neglect our bodies, right? That's just a very common thing that you do when you're young. But specifically, I want to talk to somebody, speak to somebody who's a, who would consider themselves a high performer in whatever it is that they do, whether it would be that they run a business, they work a lot of hours every day, maybe they're, as you just said, a sports athlete, um, somebody who's excelling at a high level within their field or industry. I want to really cater this question to them. What are some small things, maybe adjustments to habit? I know we were talking about sleep before we came into this. What are some small things that really open up the brain that are really huge adjustments to somebody's routine that they can implement tomorrow or starting today that are really going to, they're really going to thank themselves for over the long run. That's going to really clean up the health of their brain. Are there some small things, some ideas that you could recommend for our audience that could really help them kind of reset their brain and make sure that they're wired for peak performance, as we would say? 100%. So yeah, like you mentioned, like number one, like by far, without a question, it's sleep. There is sleep will always, everybody has a little different need of sleep, but everybody needs at least seven hours. You know, the, like those people who want to sleep six hours, if you need a coffee in the morning, you did not sleep enough. So that's just how it is. You need more sleep. So at least seven hours, average people say, and it is the average, like we hate to admit it, but it is the eight, eight and a half hours. It's truly the, the bulk of the population what they need. There is a certain percentage that it's okay with seven, but it doesn't mean that a lot of people, that everyone like that, you might be still person who still needs eight and seven. It's still too little, right? So definitely sleep, number one. Number two would be exercise. And uh, number three, I would say food, but in a little different sense than uh, most people do, because um, here, here is one thing, and I'll, I'll let you on like on one secret that I really find out. I talk to lots of neuroscientists. I talk to neurosurgeons about it. And I ask pretty much everybody, is there a food that helps your brain? And I read studies and the truth is the brain, because it is our number one computer machine in our body, will always take what it needs, right? So the brain primarily eats off of calcium. That's why we lose once we age, we lose the bones. The brain will take what it needs. It's not gonna, it will make the body deprived. So there are no like true uh, things. There are people who try to sell supplements and, I cannot support any kind of supplements because what brain wants will take out of the body. So as long as you get it there somehow and, and the things you need, it, it will come to it. But obviously you want to eat somewhat healthy diet. You don't want to like whatever suits your body, because if you're going to make your body heavy and won't give it enough like raw food and good stuff, you will make it very heavy on the body. That's the first thing. So brain will have to constantly monitor you know, the brain is not there to just make our thinking. Our thinking is very, very, very tiny, small amount of work brain does. The bulk of the work right. that brain does, it's taking care of bodily functions, right? The most dense neurons are those that take care of our keeping us balanced. That's actually why scientists believe plants don't have, uh, plants don't have brain. They don't have the, the neurostructures as animals because they're not moving. Mm. Moving. Mobility is a chore on a brain. 
So whatever you want to do, you kind of want to take care of your body because you don't want your brain to, um, you don't want your brain to be so busy doing other things that it will take, we have the least amounts of neurons, the thinking part is actually not the primary chore of the brain. It will go at the back right. end if it needs to take more of the body. So you want to take care of your body in order for the brain to be thinking. It amazes me, you know, and asking you this, how straightforward those answers are. We need to get enough sleep. We need to exercise. We need to watch what we're eating, watch what we're eating, be conscious of what we are bringing into our bodies and what we're putting in. You know, I want to ask you just to nail down a couple things in here. I know everybody who's listening to this because our culture, our whole, it, it, we are all sleep deprived, as you said. I mean, it is a, if you need a cup of coffee in the morning, you're, you're, you're not getting enough sleep. That was, that hit it for me. I just, just to, just to um, play to my curiosity, you said there's no exceptions. Are there any exceptions to that where there's even a small percentage that are actually famous you know you can actually is there you're smiling you're okay. gonna tell me no okay there is that is. oh there is. But, there is but now it's about one out of like 10 million people it's a very very rare extreme it is those people honestly need about four hours but it's like one out of like so many millions that it's it's some kind of a genetic condition you have to have in order to not need that and if you're younger, you get away with more. That's the thing. You get away yeah. with more, but you'll die sooner. And right. if it does not help, like oh, no. it, it won't have nothing for the female audience, but if it helps the male audience, if you're going to sleep little, you will have smaller testicles. That's proven. If you sleep that's little. A, that's a mic drop moment. So, so, so when, when it comes into the brain, we always hear, we've heard that the brain stops developing. I think it's at 25 is when it's fully formed as though we, we've had, what are, what are the, so for our audience who's under the age of 25, they've neglected themselves to this point. Those are some adjustments they can make is they need to get to seven to eight hours of sleep. They need to have a diet, which is, so my understanding about the diet is that the brain will take what it needs. It, does that mean that it would essentially leave the body with less nutrients? So essentially yes. other portions of the body. 100%. Okay. The brain will yep. take what it needs. Oh, that's so like, if you think you're getting some kind of supplements, there are studies after studies, check with uh, Harvard study. There are, there is nothing like all those are kind of like, I cannot support anyone sending, selling anything. Like, obviously you do need your omega threes and like the, the basis what they say, like the brain will need the, the, the weirdly what nobody actually talks about is calcium, calcium, it will, brain will take calcium always, but the brain will take what it needs and it will take it out of the body. So it will make whatever else needs to suffer because you, you need the brain to have, you know, to, to manage your functions. You know, you are breathing because your brain tells your lungs to breathe. So I've been overly curious and I, I'm sure this is something that I, any, they've done this. I'm sure this is something that if I had done a Google search, I could figure this out besides this podcast, but you, you're an expert on this. I want to ask you two, two, we have alcohol and we have marijuana. What are the effects of those two substances on the brain and what is the effects of occasional use versus, um, how would I say, more moderate use? Can you break okay. that down for our audience? Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for asking the question. Um, 
specialism. So my husband is actually a cannabis geneticist. And so I've been heavily involved in like work with uh, CBDs and THC and the effect and what it does. So unless, until your brain develops, if I, if let's take, let's take THC because marijuana has so many compounds. You have like, there is so many cannabinoids, right? So I don't think there is any kind of like harm to CBD and other, other parts of it. So, right, like there are some hemp products. Um, THC, unless you're fighting cancer, in which case it's really not a CBD, it's heavy, heavy, heavy doses of THC that kills cancer. They, they actually cause apoptosis, they cause the cancer cells to blow out. So in that case, scratch whatever age and THC is good. But if we're not dealing cancer, we're not dealing with epilepsy and certain specific conditions, then until the brain develops, it's actually, I, I hate to say it, and I know they're young populations, they just like to get high, but unfortunately, it's not good for the brain until it develops. It, it finished developing depending on a person somewhere between 21 to 25. Again, this is kind of, um, it's individual, but until the brain develops, uh, it has unfortunately slowing down effect on development. It will cause, it can cause uh, memory functions loss and having, having further problems in general it's not good for people who might have genetic predispositions for mental problems it's a double sort like specifically of, are we thinking like dementia alzheimer's of anything no, or, or no those are no, actually okay. really good once you get that age then yeah then like keep it keep the elderly population stone it's fine I, it's I, good I, for I, them <laughs> No, but uh, and I know you're serious with that, but but the I meant specifically if you have that in your family or if you have that genetically, and if you are consuming marijuana, okay, yeah, sorry, Go more on, like depression, sorry. more like bipolar disorders, more like things that actually don't have anything to do with the older age. The the, the old age, like dementia and Alzheimer's, it actually helps with that. But still, when you're young, you don't want to develop something that you have a memory problems, right? You don't want to have something that like. It can, the thing is that, and this can happen for regular users even past that age. If you're gonna be a regular user and you're gonna be smoking and you can all of a sudden at 35, you can start having mental problems. You, you might have a problems with sleeping. It may, it puts people asleep, but doesn't, what it causes, it's caused, and it's the same thing it causes with alcohol. It causes what's called fragmented sleep. It might help you fall asleep initially, it doesn't onset the proper phase of sleep because sleep is very specific brain function. And there is a there is a huge difference that people do not realize this. And it's the same thing when you're popping pills for sleeping pills. There is no, there is no thing on the market. Like literally nothing exists that makes you go to sleep. And what it makes you go, they are products, including whether it's a, whether they are pills, whether they are, um, whether it's alcohol, whether it's THC, whether it's CBD, they'll help you sedate your brain. Sedated brain doesn't perform the function of a sleeping brain. So I would. So let me actually dig just to dig on that. It's mm -hmm. not. It's like a thing. I've heard it before, where it's like if you're going on a long haul flight, pop a couple melatonin, and you can get some sleep. Whatever the case is, 
and you can get what is the difference? I guess my question is, what 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 kind of uh, what where, where where does that sleep go? So that sleep that 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 level of sleep where it gets you into the sleep, but maybe you're not getting is it the REM sleep that you're missing when you when you do it or, or the deeper levels? Like four what, phases of sleep. Yeah. What are well? What are the consequences specifically? What are the consequences of of using that sleep as a as a, a as a substitute? Like, does it actually give you energy, or do you miss out on the biggest benefits of sleep when you're trying to get when you're using a pill or you're using marijuana to to sleep? What what are the what are the things that get drawn out of that sleep that would normally with a regular sleep you're going to get fully rested? If that makes sense. Okay. So, and this will be very easy to understand once I tell you, like, it will be crystal clear. I'm stoked. Let's hear Forever. it. I... So first, let me go back a little bit when you said about uh, the melatonin on a flight. That's one exception. Melatonin, it's something, it actually doesn't aid sleep at all. It's not something that helps your sleep. Melatonin helps your body prepare for sleep if it makes sense. It's a preparation. It's just your, it's kind of like your evening routine or something. It tells your body, you need to be going to sleep, but it's not putting you to sleep. If it, does it make sense? 100%. Right? So when you're on a flight and you're flying somewhere, when you're going to be changing time zones, melatonin can, in those cases, melatonin can actually help you because you can start telling you because your body is not naturally releasing melatonin because you would be on a different time zone and you can add melatonin to it to tell your body to help your body to change to the time zone so in those in this very instance it actually does make sense to have melatonin so when you're changing time zone yes melatonin thumbs up right um if you're using melatonin on a regular basis at home you can teach your body to release melatonin naturally and adding it artificially, it's not really serving you. Well, it's much better if you're doing things like uh, cooling off your room. Obviously the blue light is you know, famous. You can get like, I actually work, I tend to work really late. I don't have them around me, but I use the, the anti-blue light glasses that I put on so I can go to sleep even when I work late and I can stare on the screen and it just takes out the blue light. And they work wonders for me because I can work on a computer and go straight to sleep, right? So it doesn't mean you necessarily have to stop working. It's just adjust so you're not exposed to it, right? Um, temperature drop is a huge thing. Your body, because naturally, if we lived in nature at night, there are colder temperatures. It's good to start cooling off your core temperature, sleep in a colder room. If you're going to sleep in a warm room, you're not going to sleep as well, right? So, and now to actual sleep. So one of the brain is extremely active during sleep and it's catching up on all the work and taking care of itself because spends in a daytime when all your organs need to work and they need to have like the digestions have to work your thinking has to work you have to think of being mobile right so at night uh the brain will actually dislocate like that you're not acting out your dreams, that you're not moving. That's a funny thing about the babies because when they're in a the belly and they go like, oh, it's kicking, it's awake, it's not awake. The baby just does not have this brain function of working. It's acting out dreams. So the babies in the belly spend about like 98% just sleeping. They're not awake. And so we basically come into, this is fascinating to me, because we come into existence, into our consciousness from sleep. As an embryo, you're fully sleeping. Then you start waking up a little, a little, a little. Then you're born and you still, the first three days, you almost only sleep and you're getting more and more consciousness. 
right? And what the brain does, there are a lot of functions and one of the primary functions, and this is why you need that sleep, is um, every, your body, if you look at it, it's its own organisms, right? Every single cell in your body works like its own organism. It basically needs to eat nutrients and because it eats whenever we eat, just like actual entire human being and every single bacteria in our body, every single species, we have 10,000 different species of all kinds of organisms in our body where actually 90% of our cells are not human, are some, some creature cells, right? And that's pretty known fact. Um, so everything eats and if it eats, it excriminates, right? It poops and does, and does that every single cell in our body. So our body has a lymphatic system that cleans these things, but not a brain. The lymphas don't go in a brain. And the brain has the, the cerebral fluid that in a night, what it does, because the in a daytime you spend thinking, you sp the brain spent doing its work, those brain cells, the glia cells and the neurons, the two types of cells we have in our brain, they take, do you know how much they take nutrients out of your body? They're like, they take a huge, the, the, the hugest, the biggest amount of your, like it's, it's tiny. Our brain is like very small percentage of our body, but it takes the biggest amount of all of our nutrients in it because it eats so much. It's like a little hummingbird that every day eats a third of its weight. Our brain constantly eats, constantly. And so it constantly poops those cells. If I put it, you know, if I make it very simple and all that mess is there through the day. And so you do need to go to sleep and the, those brain cells, they kind of like close up and that the cerebral fluid, cerebral spinal fluid goes there like a dishwasher and it flushes through and it flushes it all out. And so in order to clean the waste product of our brain through the day, we need that sleep. And if you sedate your brain, this function doesn't happen. So then That's you- yeah. Wow. That's you're, you're, you're killing it. This is, this is going to be so awesome for the audience. I can, I can already tell cause we can, cause there's so much of this that is just fascinating to me. I want to hit on real quickly before we move on from this. Um, I want to go back to alcohol. What we, we I, I think one of the, the funniest things about mankind is we, we, we really don't know what a hangover is. Is that still fair? Like we really don't know the science around hangovers in general. What does alcohol do specifically though? to, and maybe you are going to have something to say about hangovers, just in general, though, like, what is somebody, what, what do we need to know about alcohol? What happens when we get to the stage of blackout? Give us the kind of the overview of what that does to the brain, how it and how it recovers from that period. And I'd just be curious. And also, also, what, what are these studies that say like a glass of wine a day keeps down cancer and this stuff? Is there anything to, that's truthful to that? throwing it all at you, but I'm really curious about alcohol and its effects on the brain. Okay, so that's a, that's a good question too, again. So there is a, if I gotta separate a brain and a body, one glass of like wine or alcohol per day, and it has to actually be on like daily. It's not like once in a while, it, then it doesn't work. The science doesn't work. For some reason, the studies don't support it, but there's many studies, especially heavily supported by French wineries, they, they sponsored a lot of these. Um, you can't even make that up. <laughs> That's great. Uh, 
But it, it does go, it does help and it lowers the chance of heart attack by whooping and really amazing 35%. So chance of heart attack, it will help to have, but it, be careful, it's not more than one. It's truly a single glass of wine, one, one beer, beers really has lots of vitamin Bs. It really has a lot of great stuff. If you have a good quality beer, right? Like well-brewed beer, not some kind of a chemical, definitely not a light. Yeah, not stuff. Keystone or, or Bud Light. Okay, I got you. Yeah, okay. no, nothing light, no, nothing that comes with light behind it, right? It's no, it's not truly beer. It's kind of like a non-fat yogurt. It's not yogurt. It's full of starch. It's you, You're no longer getting the benefit of, of what it would be getting. Um, I'm not really sure how is it with a heart alcohol, but those studies with beer and, and wine, actually they do prove as far as heart attacks, it's 35% lower. It's, that's amazing. Those are like absolutely amazing results. But unfortunately, if I were to apply to brain, any kind of alcohol, it's bad for brain. At, even on non-regular basis, like, like you really have to go once in a while, depending on your body weight, uh, your body can metabolize on average, like the average built man, not fat, right? Like a normal, healthy, grown-up man can metabolize about one drink per hour in order to be okay. It does cause, like it breaks down the way the body breaks down the alcohol, it does turn into poison and it's really bad for your brain. And so what happens during the blackout is that, uh, even, you know, the person who doesn't remember anything in the morning would happen at night and you can, he can talk to his friends. Like I'm, I'm a good example of that. Like this happened to me in my younger age, a couple of times. So, uh, no, you know, I, I gotta admit I was part of that too, but, uh, I can act like the next day people tell me you didn't even look drunk. Like I knew I was drunk, but I can maintain the level of professionalism. I'm just funny. I'm just more fun. I'm just more outgoing. But then like I can wake up in the morning and I don't remember. And then what happens is that like once you hit more drinks per hour that your body cannot metabolize those. And normally when you, what happens at night, one of the brains function during your sleep. It's not just the, it's not just the cleaning itself. There is like a, like a whole bunch of things. Like I said, like the brain works very, very heavily during the sleep. So in order to get, that's why you need real sleep. That's why you cannot sedate your brain. So one of the functions of the brain during sleep is to move your short-term memory into long-term memory, right? It's going from um, different parts of brain to different parts of brain, and it needs to be transferred. What alcohol does, alcohol stops this, uh, um, crossroads it basically stops this traveling from happening so because it's in a short-term memory once you sleep you wake up in the morning it's no longer there and it never was moved into the long-term memory that's why i don't remember anything so that is so so let's just uh, awesome phenomenal let's apply to if, if we can i i obviously we have i'm sure we have college students that listen to this we're just going to admit that they are they're, we're not even going to try to tell them to not drink because I'm just not in that business. They're, they're going to do their thing. For the working professional who is, let's say they're, they're consuming alcohol, let's say maybe once a week, let's, say, let's, let's call it twice a week in a more than moderate 
you know, maybe let's say, well, I don't even know what moderate be considered. Let's say three to four plus drinks on a two night per basis. Let's just say it's Friday and Saturday nights. What is that doing to your, what, what does that do to the brain over time? What are the challenges that could come in from that? And really what, what, what is it preventing the brain from doing in the sense of the, it, it, are there long-term, I mean, obviously there would be long-term repercussions. I, I want to hear about that just because I feel like that's most people, right? Most people, we talk about like living for the weekends, like they're going to enjoy themselves over the weekends. What is that doing to them over the long term of consuming alcohol on a more than moderate basis two or three times a, a week? Even moderate base, that's a sad thing, even moderate base is bad for the brain. The thing is you want to have, if you want to drink at all, if anyone wants to drink at all, this is going to sound like a weird advice, but I would say drink as early as you can, like before you go to sleep, because what it really, it really messes a lot of your sleep. So drink early enough that your body can metabolize the alcohol before you go to sleep. So if you were to have a you know, like you want to meet up your body for a beer or two, do it after lunch, you have lunch, you have some food on, in your stomach, do it after lunch, later and do it after dinner, then you're actually not damaging yourself as much, right? Then you can actually, and if you have a good body that can metabolize alcohol fast, the sooner you drink it and the longer you give it a gap between that moment and sleeping, the better off you are. So, so I know I went to Michigan State University and we, we are fond of our noon kickoffs for football, which I'm being sarcastic. We're not fond of our noon, noon, noon kickoffs because that means we have to wake up at five or six o'clock in the morning. But that's actually not a terrible thing is if you get the drinking in the morning. So we are officially endorsing waking up and, and getting plastered in the morning. I'm totally kidding by that comment. But let's. <laughs> so that's a really interesting point. So what happens, and I know I'm totally cutting you off and you're about to get to that. What happens when you're drinking it and it just sits there? What happens with that when it's when it is you're consuming it later at night before you're going? I really have a great section in my book about it. So like I really go deep into that in the book. But like I said, like the um, you are what you're doing, you're you're sedating the brain so the brain cannot clean itself the brain cannot move it it blocks the crossroad it basically blocks the pathways because they are you know you have the whole road system if i were to say like you have a road system in the brain and the brain communicates before it communicates with the body it communicates with the body obviously but it also communicates with itself within itself if it makes sense, right? So it needs to it needs to send things like how to organize. And this organization at night, it, it basically doesn't happen because this there are these roadblocks and the road system is gone, it's down. The cleaning of the brain is not done. And because it causes this fragmented sleep, it sedates the brain. And then you wake up, you know, you can wake up in the middle of the night. And that's a similar things would happen with the cannabis users. They fall asleep, it helps them fall asleep, but then they wake up in the middle of the night. If you have a cannabis users who use cannabis for long terms, if you ask them, they'll tell you they have no dreams. They don't dream. They don't get proper REM sleep. Similarly, uh, it is important to actually get your whole night sleep. They are, I, I have recently seen some entrepreneurs um, going on the fact that they multiply their sleep exactly by 90 minutes because it takes 90 minutes to go through all four phases of sleep to actually and to some extent there is tiny bit of truth to it but really not that much because the truth is you're not dreaming till about morning mostly while you go through all phases those phases have different length 
at different time of the night. So unless you're actually getting the entire block, let's say you would sleep twice a day by four hour sections, you're not getting the sleep you need by eight hour section. And it's the same thing in like people if who take naps, it's proven it really helps. Like I'm a huge fan. Like I make my, at this moment of my life, I make a point to take 20 minutes naps every day, unless like I have to be traveling, I have to be somewhere, but I make sure I, if at all possible, I would say at least five days a week, I take 20 minute nap because what builds up in your brain through the day, it's, it's a thing called adenosine. And we have the adenosine receptors and adenosine makes you tired. It makes you groggy. It makes you not think it like, it's, it's just kind of like bounces there and blocks like everything. Like when you're trying to focus, when you're trying to concentrate, if you're trying to teach people, you want to try to give them lecture. If you give them the lecture and people been there since morning around two or three, everybody's falling asleep. People cannot focus. They cannot bring that focus. And the reason is because they have too much adenosine buildup in their brain. And there are these adenosine receptors. Then we drink caffeine that has a similar looking structure. Like if you look at the molecule of, of uh, caffeine, it looks a little bit like the chimney sweeper. It's kind of like this, like one, this one arm and this like little spiky looking end. And it like blocks these adenosine receptors. So it doesn't allow that adenosine to go in. And so you cannot fall asleep. It blocks the falling asleep, but it does not get rid of the adenosine. So if you have a chance, and this is what I do, I'll give you like a huge advice that before I take a nap really quickly, before I take a nap, I have the coffee. So I have that, I have that caffeine there. Then, and I drink it really fast. Then I go take my 20 minute naps because it takes about 20 minutes for that caffeine to hit my brain. In that 20 minute nap, that adenosine goes away in my brain and the, and the caffeine blocks the receptors. I only drink coffee in the afternoon. I never drink coffee in the morning, but I do drink it before my nap if I can. So I call it a coffee naps. And so this is, and it is proven that if you actually have a coffee before you nap, you are gonna have, uh, you wake up much better. You wake up much more functioning than if you just have a coffee or if you just nap, because one can get you, little more tired you don't want to drink you don't want to nap too long because if you would fall into that uh, further stages of sleep you can be in a deep sleep that are really hard to wake up from you know like at that moment you kind of have to finish up the entire cycles of sleep so like to me and again it's individual to me 20 minutes is my my perfect ideal timeline and it's ideal for me to have the to have the caffeine right prior nap and then like I, I actually usually wake up even before my alarm goes off before the 20 minutes and I'm just like ready to just jump out of the bed and be completely and I feel refreshed like I do in the morning. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Get After Podcast. Part two of this interview will be live as the next episode tomorrow and it'll be episode 83 so make sure you come back for part two. I'm telling you, we have much more awesomeness to come in this interview. If you are like me, where there are multiple moments where I was scared for some of the things that she said. And also, frankly, um, I learned so much from this interview. So I'm so excited to share with you all part two. This is, again, another episode where I'm going to recommend share this with someone. Share this with a friend, someone who's going to be impacted by this, someone who needs to hear some of this. 
I thought this was so fascinating. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but I, I really thought this was an amazing episode. So make sure that you share this episode with someone who's important to you. Do all the things, like, like, rate, subscribe. Let us know how we're doing and make sure that you get after your day. I'll talk to you all soon.